Good morning, everybody. My name is Luke. If you don't know me, it's a privilege to be with you sharing God's Word. There's two seats right in front. If you want to hear it first, you're welcome to sit in front. I know we're, uh, uh, there's a bit of seat pressure, and that's fine. We need to make maybe another plan with another screen outside there. But uh, I want to dive right into it. We've mixed the order up today. Um, we're going to be speaking about, um, really, I want to speak about experiencing God. Here's the thing. I've been hearing this a lot, and I came across an article that I think sums up where a lot of us are at as human beings in this current moment. There's a word that this article was all about, uh, and I'll get to the word in a second. It starts with an L. um, That I think sums up where a lot of uh, just us as human beings are at in this current moment of long into COVID, etc. Here's the the descriptor of this, uh, like almost like a condition, if you will. Um, People having trouble concentrating. Many of us having trouble concentrating. Many of us starting 2021 and just not excited about the year. Many of us just not bouncing out of bed at 6.30 in the morning like we used to, ready to go. It's not burnout because you still got energy. It's not depression because you don't feel hopeless. But it's somewhere in the middle of joylessness and aimlessness. And it turns out there's a term for this. It's called languishing. Languishing. Languishing is a sense of stagnation sense of emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days. It's the void between depression and flourishing. And it's almost defined as the absence of well-being. Languishing dulls our motivation. It disrupts our ability to focus. And and it's almost like, like the oxygen pipe that you're breathing on has been squashed. And so you're taking in less, and your ability to concentrate and your ability to do what you were doing two years ago has been diminished. I've seen this a lot, and and if I'm honest with you, I've experienced this in my own life. Now, I don't have the answers for languishing. I think it just helps in some ways to just know that there's a name, know that you're not alone, and that there's many of us in the same boat. But what I have realized as a pastor in my conversations with people is the oxygen pipe that's coming in has been, in a sense, squashed. Now, you can come to a Sunday then. And come to a Sunday with a sense of diminished ability. The pipe has been squashed. It's got thinner. And so you you come to a Sunday kind of limping. And you come to to these moments that should be adding life to you. But because we're coming with a sense of languishing, they're actually diminished themselves. And so I want to remind us today about what the Christian life is. About why it is we gather. What's at stake. And and I'm trusting that it's going to give hope to us us languishers who, who... whose pipe has been squashed. And as we, as we on a Sunday get more oxygen, slowly we start to see that that pipe is expanded a little bit. If you're a visitor today and you're joining us, if you're looking in to the Christian faith, this is a wonderful, you picked the right Sunday for many reasons, um, but for one of them is that you're going to get to understand what Christianity is about. And, uh, and so I want you, without further ado, uh, open your Bibles to Psalm 63. As we look at a psalm that speaks about The Christian experience. Psalm 63, follow along in your Bibles. That way you can highlight if you're on your device or you can um, underline if you're in a paper Bible. And um, let's look together. It will also be on the screen as we go. And so Psalm 63, this is a Psalm of David. It was written in the Judean wilderness, right? I'll tell you about the Judean wilderness in a second, but let's go together. Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. 
because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Oh, I love this. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed, I meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They they shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in the Lord, and all who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, ah, God, we ask, would you speak to us, Father? Maybe you're here and you're not a Christ follower. Maybe, maybe you've been following Jesus for decades. I pray that wherever you are, you would go further along the journey this morning. Whether it be a reminder of something you knew but needed to know again, or it be discovering something for the first time. God, would you speak to us from your word, we pray. Amen. The big idea today is God is a person to be known experientially. God is a person to be known experientially. God is a person to be known experientially. This passage shows us something of the Christian experience. It shows us that God and Christianity, God is not just a doctrine to be known or a religion to practice. Christianity is not just merely a way of life. It's not just an ethic or a code for how we should live. Christianity is more than beliefs that we hold. But God is a person who is knowable, who must be known by us. God is a person to know. This psalm says we can know him experientially. Imagine with me you are a hiker and you set out on a hike. This is an illustration from J.R. Packer in his book, Knowing God. A hiker sets up off a mountain to go and to find the waterfall at the top. And a few kilometers into the hike, he comes across his path, takes him near a log cabin. And by the by the cabin there, sitting on the porch, is a man. And so the, the man says to the hiker, where are you going? And the hiker says, I'm going to the waterfall. Do you want to come? And the man says, no, no, I'm quite happy on my porch here. Thank you. So the hiker says, have you seen the waterfall? And the man says, no, no, no. They did tell me it was there. When they sold me the property, I saw it in the brochure. It looks like a great waterfall. But I'm quite happy here on the deck. Thank you. And so off the hiker went. The hiker went and he went about a couple of hundred meters, went round a bend, and there was just this an abundance of wildflowers, beautiful flowers, overwhelmed by the smell of nature, glorious, beautiful flowers. As he continued, eventually he came across this vast canyon that he looked upon and just took his breath away before finally getting to the waterfall where he was now hot and plunged himself into the cool spring water and drank from it. That, you, know that, you know that spring water that's almost sharp in your mouth when it just, it's, oh, and he drank of it. Now here's the question. Who do you think knew the mountain? Who knew the mountain? I said to you, the guy sitting on his porch knew about the mountain, 
but the hiker who engaged, who pressed in, he knew the mountain. It's exactly the same with knowing God. You can know about God or you can know God. And I think many of us as Christ followers settle for knowing about God, but God invites us to know him. And the difference is critical. God wants us to experience him. And so the way we break down the psalm today is threefold. I'm going to ask three questions of this psalm. And the first question is, what is it like to experience God? The second question is, what effect does this have on our lives? And the third question is, how can we experience God like this? The third one will be the shortest answer if you're keeping track on time. And then we're going to get an opportunity to experience God like this as we worship Him. That's where we're going. Let's go. Number one, what is experiencing God like? First verse, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The first thing we see about experiencing God is experiencing God is like thirst. Experiencing God is like thirst of your soul and then you are satisfied. Have you ever been thirsty? I don't mean like thirsty like like half time on a really hot day when you're playing rugby in Paul, right? I don't mean thirsty like that. I mean like proper thirsty. I don't think any of us have ever been thirsty like David was thirsty. I mean, the Judean wilderness is a bit like the Karoo, but minus the plants, right? We're talking just dry dust and rocks. It's 45 degrees. I remember from school days that if a human being goes without water for three days, you can die. David was alone in the wilderness in 45 degrees in the most severest part of the Karoo, minus all the plants. Can you imagine what it's like on day two without water? Have you ever really been thirsty? David knew thirst. He says, my flesh faints for you. You know, your flesh is about 80% water. Right? When you take your bones out of the equation, your flesh alone, about 80% water. Now, he's literally, it's, like, it's as if his cells, he's so thirsty, his cells are crying out, I need water, I need life. Now, now imagine you feel like that, and then you go to that same spring that I described, and you scoop in your hands, and you drink that cool, mountain-sharp water. David says that's, that, that knowing God is as refreshing as that. Knowing God is like that. God can refresh us. We can experience God in such a way as he refreshes our whole being. It's a sensory experience like thirst and being quenched. How does that sound? That's the invitation today. And it's not a one-off. It's not like when you, when you were really excited when you came to faith as a young Christian. It's not a one-off. This is the Christian experience. David has known God for decades. He's walking with God. He's walked with God through, through, through mistakes, through misery, through all sorts of nonsense in his life. This is decades long, and he's, he's experiencing God. C.S. Lewis says, said the, the, the human being, was, he likens it to a, like a car is created to run on fuel. Uh, you keep coming back to the fuel station. So a human being is designed to run on God. We need God like the this is David saying, like water, thirst. It's the first thing that David says. Uh, the second thing we see here, what is it like to experience God? We read verse 2. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding. The second thing we see is knowing God is like sight. The second way we experience God is like sight. God, I've seen your power and your glory. I've seen your power and your glory. He's been in the presence of God, and he's seen God. So what is seeing God like? I don't think it's a physical sight. There's no record of David seeing God like this. 
it's not a physical sight like you're seeing me and we're seeing each other right now, but I also don't think it's on the other extreme like a vision or just like a dream or something like that. It's something more profound. What David is describing is something that grips him. He's got an understanding of God that consumes his vision. He, he, he's got an impression of God, if you will, that consumes the way he thinks. What David is describing is something like a strong impression of, of, of a deep sense of God's attributes. He says here, it's power, the power of God, the glory of God. We see others elsewhere in the psalm as well. But it's a sense, a deep impression of the attributes of God that, are, that have captured his imagination, his heart, his desires. Wow, God, is this what you're like, is what he's describing. Have you ever had something like this? David is talking about this as the ongoing Christian experiencing. He, uh, Christian experience. He's experiencing God profoundly. It's, it's like seeing God, is what he's saying. He's beholding God. You're beholding something. You're looking at it. But, but as much as you're looking at it, it's holding you. It's commanding you. It's, it's locking you. You can't take your eyes off of it. Maybe that's where the saying came from. You can't peel your eyes. It's just beholding you. It's captured you. you wow. A friend of ours recently recommended we watch this thing called um, Do Perfect Bucket List as they come to Cape Town. I don't know if you probably if you've got young kids, you've seen this, but these guys, uh, and to my shame, I have not done this myself. They go on an early morning hike up Lion's Head. I've never been. I mean, what kind of Cape Tonian am I? I've never been up Lion's Head. And, and they take their GoPro, and you see these guys. It's the, wow. It's, it's, and then you, you, if you're there, if you close your eyes, that sense doesn't go away. You, you, you you still feel it. It's like it's encompassed you. It's, it's all around you. It's taken you in. Wow. It's, this is something of what David is describing. David's describing, it's not seeing God, but it's almost faith sight. The way the nature and the attributes of God become so compelling to you, become so attractive to you, they grip you, that they overcome you with an impression of who God is. And everything else seems to fade away. This is not cognitive. This is sensory so sensory that he says to us lastly in verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. The third experience of God is like feasting. We've said it's, it's thirsting and being satisfied. It's seeing by faith sight. Does that make sense, by the way? That faith sight that's so gripping and compelling. The third one is when you, when you, when you thirst and you're satisfied, when you see and you are captured by God. It's like feasting on the richest and best foods. He says it's like fatty meat. So delicious. He's talking about ribeye steak. He's talking about slow roasted brisket and short rib. He's talking oxtail poiki and a lamb chop. If you're a vegetarian, I'm so sorry. You've picked the wrong Sunday. And he didn't even know, he didn't even know because he was Jewish about a pork belly, right? As you can tell, David is speaking my language. I am fluent in meat. And he is, he's describing, he says, when you're thirsty and you're satisfied, when, you, when you've seen God, it's like feasting of your soul. It captures you. You know when you've eaten a nice meal? Uh, two weeks ago, a friend invited us um, for dinner, and he, he gave us four different meats. And I ate all four of those meats and washed it down with a glass of wine. And as we sat, there were six of us sitting on the couch. You know when you've, you've feasted and you've you actually had to take the meal from the couch and from the table to the couch, right? That's where it's just, it's like joy is on my lips, right? That's exactly what David says. 
It says this is the Christian experience. When you, when you, when you, when you thirst and you, you get God, and when you see him and he's so compelling, it's like joy is on your lips. And what happens is when, that, when you I mean, think of the nicest thing you've ever eaten, and you eat it, it, it's like your brain just focuses on that, that thing, right? You forget about other stuff. The rest of the world tends to fade away. This is the language of the Bible. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Are you a hiker? Or are you a dexeter? Not once were you a hiker. Are you a hiker now? Do you know God with your senses? Or or are you settling for merely knowing about God? This is the Christian experience. When we worship God, we feast on his word. We have an impression of his goodness that captures us. And it's two ways, David says. It's like in his experience, he says, now my mouth will praise you. He, he responds back to God in prayer and in praise. This is what we call communing with God. You, you see something of the wonder of who God is, and it captures you. And then you tell him how awesome he is, and you praise him back. And, and you notice that your communion with God is not so much just, God, can you do this for me? God, can you do this for me? Oh, God, I need your help now. Because, you, because you're living in this active relationship, it's relationship, it's communing with God. Your prayers become about praise, about who God is. And so you, you, you delight back in Him. God, is this really what you are? You're so amazing. This is what David's life is. His, God's personhood has gripped David's life and he delights back. Oh, it's deeply personal. It's profoundly life-changing. Are you hiking? I'll ask you today. And do you want to come and hike with us as a church as we get to know more of who God is? The second question we look at today is what effect does this have on us? What effect does this have on your life and my life? And the first one is this. You become free, freer than anyone else in all the world. You become free. So Psalm, Psalm 63 verse 3 says to us, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. God's love, this word steadfast love, it's a word we struggle to translate in our English Bibles from Hebrew. A steadfast love, we sometimes see it as covenant love. Um, it, it's, it's a never giving up, never ending, always and forever, overcoming everything, all encompassing love, right? And it's another attribute of God that David has got latched onto here. And he's saying, it's your love. It's so much better than my life. Look what he says here. He says, your, real, your, your love for me is so real, it's so captivating that I'd rather die than lose this love. There's nothing else in the world to me that is as important as this, God, as knowing you. And what happens is the lesser things in life begin to lose their appeal. The, you, the, the, the power of the lesser things, the traction that they have on, on your life is broken when God is seen for who he is. And so the temptation to go into debt to buy that thing that you feel that you have to have you look at that thing, you go, because oh, God's here. You're, you see, you've got a perspective of this. So therefore, that tends to lose traction. Have you ever been to a buffet, right? I think this is the closest I understand of a feast, right? Now, when I get to a buffet, you can hear, I've got eyes for one part of the buffet, right? It's the meat section, right? And I can't understand why, I can't understand the presence of all the other Bay Marie's before the meat. I don't know why they're there. In fact, when I get there, I take just a little bit of each of them, just so people don't think I'm a total savage, right? So I get a little bit of spinach, a little bit of broccoli. When I, but when I see people walking past me with their slices of bread and their rice and their lettuce, I just want to say, don't you know? There's pork belly there, you know? You're wasting space because there's... Do you know what, you know what I mean when I say pork belly? What do you do, hey? I think... I mean, I wish I, wish I could have got up really early. And lit a weeber this morning and cooked many kilos of pork belly. 
just so that you could taste. But I did. And so, um, La, would you mind bringing around those uh, little tasters of pork belly, please? (laughs) Sorry, guys, on Zoom. There's just some things you can't do across the screen. So um, as Lauren makes her way around and, and uh, whoever else is helping, please, uh, so we're going to do this COVID-friendly. There's a stick. Everyone just take your stick and then do that as they move around, right? Uh, they're going to be making their way here. Um, but what, 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 I know it's exciting, but let's come back. The reality is, is when, you, when you've tasted pork belly, lettuce is lettuce. Bread is bread. The, the lesser things of life take their appropriate place. When you've tasted of the person of God, when, when, when you're knowing God experientially, other things become what they really are. You've heard the song, uh, the things of the earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. grace. As we see God, the things of the earth go dim. And it's even in his sleepless nights. It's even in God's sleepless nights. When you remember, David says in verse 6, look at verse 6 with me. I know there's pork belly coming, but let's stay focused. When I remember you upon my bed and I meditate on you in the watches of the night. David is lying awake. Come, we all know what it's like to lie in your bed awake at night, eh? Those sleepless nights that come looking for you. And David's mind drifts, and his mind drifts. Where does his mind drift to? Where does your mind drift to? Does your mind drift to the rice, like work, like career progress, like achievements, rice, potatoes? I mean, I do like potatoes, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Maybe it's not the rice. Maybe your mind drifts to the lettuce and the Brussels sprouts of your fears and your failures and your insecurities. But not David. Where does David's mind drift to in the middle of the night? Do you know where David's mind drifts to? David's mind drifts to the personhood of God. Why? Why? Because he's got the taste of pork belly in his mouth. Because he's got a sense of God. And it's still living in his mind. And it's living in his heart. And so his mind, even in the middle of the night, in the watches of the morning, his mind drifts to who God is. That's David's uh, experience of God. Let me ask you this morning. How is your affection for Jesus? How is your affection for Jesus? The first thing you see is that you become free and the, the things of the world lose their appeal. The second thing is you become secure. Verse 7 and 8, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. It's the image here of David as a young child or a young chick under the wing of his mother. As she, as she wraps her wing around him, she keeps him safe. As Nukupumla in my life group would say, she says this, she says, I feel like I am, I'm, I'm held. I'm held. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm held. I, I get this, I think of Ben's first rugby match. This was both a parenting success and a parenting failure on my behalf. Um, ben was about seven years old, and we went to watch the Stormers play the Chiefs. If you're a rugby fan, you'll remember Dylan Lates' behind the back, off the ground pass that was a game changer. It was under, happened underneath our, our noses there, right? But it was a parenting failure because Ben was about this high. And 32,000 fans and Ben and myself walked into that stadium. And I felt his little hand get tighter and tighter and tighter on my hand. 
as, as more and more people got squashed, we got squashed like, like sardines. And this poor boy, eventually he was terrified. And I worked out, he said to me, Daddy, what if I get separated from you? You've got to realize when you waist high and there's just a sea of literally tens of thousands of people, what do you do? It's terrifying. So you know what I did? I picked him up and I put him on my shoulders. Completely changed the experience of walking into the stadium. Because now he was safe. Now he was secure. This is what David is saying. He's saying, because I've seen God, because, because I'm, I'm experientially knowing God. He's so real to me and I'm seeing who he is. I feel safe and I feel secure. Do you know what this is like? Are you living like this in the COVID moment that we're all in at the moment? Because this is the Christian experience. While the rest of the world is clamoring for a safer piece of geography as Christ followers, we are tucking in under the wings of God where we are safe and we are secure in Him. And you know what happens, guys? For us as a church who wants to be a witness to, to the South Peninsula of Cape Town, it makes your life profoundly attractive to your neighbors and to your friends and family members because you become a non-anxious presence in a very anxious culture. Are you hiking or are you sitting on the deck? Number three, the Christian experience, what, what, what effect does it have on me and you? You become joyful. My soul will be satisfied, David said. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips, but the king shall rejoice in God. Rejoicing in God is what he's describing here. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. You see, we live in a culture that says the meaning of life is about finding your own happiness. That, every, that everything you need to be happy, you can find inside of you. And that to find happiness, you just have to follow your heart. That you can be anything you want to be. And life is kind of like a blank canvas. And you just have to go out into the world and create your own identity. These days, all you have to do is say that you are something, and then you are that thing. Here's the thing. Creating yourself, creating your own identity is a whole lot of pressure. You have to perform a particular way so as to project that identity to the world. And then, if it's not enough effort and energy that has to go in projecting that identity to the world, now you've got to defend it as well when it comes under attack. You've got to defend it to the world day in and day out, and it's tiring. And actually, if I look at it in social media, and if I look at how we treat one another as human beings, this identity creation and then defending is a little bit like a war. Because people scream at each other and they call each other horrible things so as to get other people to accept my identity. And anyone who doesn't accept me gets belittled and gets shamed and gets canceled. I think we cancel one another. If, if, if you're a little bit later in years and you don't know what I mean, cancel, don't worry. But you younger guys know what I mean. We cancel one another. Because it, it's so hard enough as it is to, to, to maintain this identity and to project it and to defend it. That to, to have this identity in the presence of someone for who doesn't see it, it's, it's just so hard. I'd rather just take them out of my life altogether. Or, or when we cancel someone else and we belittle them, and in pushing them down, we feel better about our own identities. Can you see how exhausting this is? How thirsty this is? How this is nothing like a feast of God? Instead, look at David. David, here we see a satisfied soul. God, you are my God. I am your child. 
Everything I have, everything I need is in you. It's an identity that is not created on your own, but rather it's an identity that is received from God. And and, and his identity is formed in, in the way in which he views himself in relation to God. You are my God, he says. I am your child. The Lord is my shepherd, he said elsewhere. His compass point is not something that he's created. His compass point is God himself. And therein is joy, not exhaustion. Do you know an identity like this? An identity that is received from the one who made you. The truest version of you. Because only then will you be able to live with a source of joy that you don't have to always defend and create and stoke up and justify. It comes from him. As you see him for who he is, joy abounds in you. Last question as we come to land. How do we experience God? And there's a bit of a mashup of different verses. We're going to stick on the screen. How do we experience God? Earnestly I seek you, David says, so I will bless you. I will lift up my hands. My mouth will praise you. I will remember you and meditate on you. Seek God. How do, you, how, how do we experience God like this? You seek God earnestly. David seeks God earnestly. Earnestly is truthfully. It's purely. It's deeply. It's longing. It's thirstily, right? We seek God earnestly. Church, we need to recover something of earnest seeking of God. On Sundays when we gather, we need to come with an expectation. I think if David was here, he'd be coming on a Sunday to say, I'm here to meet with God. I'm here to see God. I'm here to get an impression of who God is so that I can respond to him in praise. I think we're coming in a sense of our oxygen pipes have been squeezed and we can just kind of limp into Sunday. I'm saying, come, let's recover something of earnestly seeking God. On Sundays when we gather in his presence. Does that make sense? God wants to be found. That's what we see in this psalm. The second thing we see here is seek God in humble surrender. Verse 4, David says, I will bless you. I will lift up my hands. Now this bless, actually, if you look at it in Hebrew, I see there there's, a, there's this posture of kneeling. And he says, when he says, I'll lift up my hands, it's not this. Actually, it's in the original, I will lift up the hollow of my hands. It's this posture of someone kneeling before with a hollow of his hands exposed. It's God, I bring nothing. God, I'm humbly before you, surrendering all that I am. But I want to see you, God, and I want to give you all that I am. It's a total surrender and devotion of everything that he is and everything that he has in devotion to God. God, you're my child. You're my God. I'm your child. I'm your follower. I'm your friend. Here I am, God. He comes in humble surrender. And lastly, as we land, seek God in word and in spirit. God is a person to be known experientially. We know him and we experience him as we seek him earnestly, as we seek him humbly. And we do this as we praise and as we worship by his word and by his spirit. And and nowhere do we see God and the person of God, the attributes of God more clearly revealed than in his word. But God has sent us his spirit to make these truths become impressionably alive to us and to make our hearts become impressionable by them. If you, you wouldn't remember, but maybe you've seen it in movies, long before, before email, was, we used to post mail. Do you remember that thing? And, uh, and there were envelopes, right? 
and, uh, and you used to lick that sticky thing on the envelope, and it would close, right? And long before that, there was no sticky thing on envelopes. I know, hard to even imagine. And they used to use wax. What they would do is take that envelope, close it up, seal it, and put a blob of soft wax on there that had been melted and dropped on there. And then they would take a special seal, heat the seal up in the fire till it was hot. And then the seal would come and make an impression, a seal on that wax before they lifted it up. This is, in a sense, the final metaphor I want to use today of the Christian experience. Your heart, impressionable, is like wax that God wants to shape your life. The Spirit is the fire, and the Word is the shape of who God is. You take, it's God's Word and the power of the Spirit heated up that then melts and changes our hearts. Now, if you just get, you have no fire, no Spirit, you just get this hard stamp, it crushes the wax, it breaks the wax, and it doesn't mold and shape. If you just get the fire, all you end up with is a sense of gloop. But if you get the revelation of who God is, in the power of the Spirit, impressed on your heart and life, your heart is melted and changed and begins to conform to the person of God. You become like Him. You become free. You become secure. And you become joyful as David was. Are you hiking? Come, let's hike together. Can we stand? Can we worship? I want to lead us in prayer and hand over to the band to lead us. And let's push in. God, you are a God who can and must be known experientially, Lord Jesus. As we, as we come now to feast on you, with the taste of pork belly on our lips, Jesus, we want the taste of who you are to be on our hearts, God. And so come, Holy Spirit, and would you impress upon us the person of Christ. As we shine a light on Jesus, as the band does that, come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us about who Christ is. God, give us an impression of who you are. Every one of us, something that is compelling, something that captures us, something that grabs us. I pray. Come church, let's push into God now. Let's go hiking. Let's not fold our arms and sit on the deck, but let's press in to who God is in this moment.